When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Yeah, Kenny, speaking of traffic, we're going to need you to come in on Saturday. I don't think so. Going to need you to come in on Saturday. No. It's going to be snowing. No. Kenny's no. not going to play along. No, he's not. I like it. <laughs> and Sunday. Yeah. We get things rolling with the opening bell. Want to ring the bell? Off the middle and through. It will score two runs. And the hometown kid reaches his milestone at home. I definitely did want to get it tonight uh, here at home um, in front of family and friends. And, uh, you know, leading up to it, I, I didn't really try to try not to make it that big of a deal or anything like that. But then uh, when it did happen, uh, to see the boys at the top step, uh, family and friends and the fans here in Minnesota, uh, acknowledge that it was was pretty special. After I got out, that inning ended. I was on the, on the field, and the fans, uh, you know, definitely gave me another standing ovation. It was probably the most uncomfortable I've been on a baseball field, <laughs> you know, in a long time. Joe Maurer, 2,000th career hit last night. One of only three Twins players to collect 2,000 hits in a Twins uniform. Kirby Puckett got to like 2,300 hits, mm-hmm. and uh, Rod Carew, who also had hits in a bunch of hits with the Angels, he wound up with 3,000 career hits. Here's the sad part. You tell me if you agree or disagree. We both were putting out questions and feelers on the internet last night, well, and I was sparring with you people. Were, you were fighting more than I was. I could fight with anti-Mauer bozos until I die. Like, it's fish in a barrel. And this is my sense. The sad part is, Joe Maurer, 2,000 hits. It's not 3,000, but 2,000 is a pretty damn good milestone. There's only about 250 or 270 players in the 150-year history of Major League Baseball to get to 2,000 hits. So it's a pretty exclusive club. 3,000, obviously more exclusive. But I feel like a lot of Twins fans have missed out on a great decade-and-a-half-long career because they were too obsessed with him not hitting bombs and RBIs. It feels like a lot of Twins fans are mad because he's Rod Carew instead of Albert Pujols. That you thought he was going to be this hulking power hitter because he's six foot three, six foot four, But he turned out to be Tony Gwynn. Or Rod Carew, yeah, he's right, and Carew. that disappoints people for some reason. I, I don't understand it. I think the story of of Joe Maurer is is one of the most interesting things that I have seen and or covered in this town. Because for a guy who is as I don't know laid back, boring, milk toast as you could possibly get, I can't think of, of an athlete, and certainly not a twin. In the time that I've watched this team, and I started to watch Twins in 1978 who stirs the passion that Joe Maurer does. You put out a question about Joe Maurer, 
You ask for phone calls, and you get instant response. And you get the folks that can't stand him, that think he's a waste of money and time. You get the folks who, rightfully so, say he's a great player. But it is interesting for a guy who minds his own business like no other. I mean, he he has made a career out of just sort of being a boring guy and a great player. The passion that his name and that discussion about him, I put out a really simple question. On, after he got the 2,000th hit last night, I said, does this now, like it or not, does this now put him in a conversation with Carew and Puck? Because he is the third player in the history of a franchise that relocated here from Washington in 1961 to do this. And the responses are still coming in. Well, so to that question, all right, this is where I'm baffled again. I would take Carew and Puckett. Like, I would take Carew and Puckett. I think Joe Maurer's trajectory until he moved, until the concussion and then he moved to first base, was a Hall of Fame trajectory. Now, this late career resurgence after three years of hitting like 265 or 260, now he's back up into the 300s. Now his on-base percentage is back closer to where it was, 40% getting on base the last couple of years. If he puts together a four- to five-year late career resurgence and he's back to being closer to the player he was five years ago, that might change the narrative again. But if your argument against Joe Maurer primarily is he's not a Hall of Famer, like if that, so if you're just nitpicking the things that he isn't instead of celebrating the things that he is, I feel like your bar for getting joy out of watching baseball is set way too high. Jason Stark tweeted this out either late last night or this morning. Our guy Jason Stark. Only 11 players ever have notched 2,000 hits Three batting titles, a 300 average, a 390 on base percentage, career we're talking about here, and an 800 OPS. Ty Cobb, Rogers Hornsby, Tony Gwynn, Stan Musial, Honus Wagner, Ted Williams, Rod Carew, Miguel Cabrera, Larry Walker, Wade Boggs, and Joe Maurer. And we crap on him. Not all of us. Like, no, we, it, it's a, but it's a very, it's a very vocal minority, and probably a large minority. It's a it, the the amazing thing to me is it's it's a minority that that I get the distinct impression thinks he stinks. That's what I don't get. He is right now a borderline borderline right now Hall of Fame player. Yes. If you go back and look at, at his stats now. Let's just take Puck out because Puck won two titles and and people love him S- somewhat irrationally at times. But let's take him out of the, the conversation for one second and let's compare him to Rod Carew. He is essentially Rod Carew. They are the same player. They moved positions now, Joe from catcher, but they moved positions at approximately the same time in their careers. They both uh, they both are fantastic hitters who didn't hit for power. They both got to playoff games, and guess what? Didn't do so well. And their teams certainly did not, and that is not all their fault. But Rod Crew and Joe are essentially the same guy. And so so what I don't get is are you tell so if you think that Maurer's not that good and he he in your mind or in some minds he stinks, did Rod Carew stink? And I get the crew played more games, but he didn't catch. It it's just it's it will always be to me, Phil, one of the most interesting discussions in this town because, as I said, it stirs so much yeah. passion. And some of the passion against him, I simply don't get. Yes. I also think I think his demeanor and his personality don't give him the benefit of the doubt, too. There's this perception that because he's quiet, he's a bad leader or because 
he doesn't defend himself or get fired up or show emotion on the field like some other players that he's a dud and he's dragging things down. And here's another example. Exhibit A, okay? I think Joe Maurer has a better chance at the Hall of Fame than Torrey Hunter. Torrey Hunter is Hall of Very Good. Joe Maurer, I think, winds up in Hall of Very Good, not Hall of Fame. But Joe Maurer has a better chance based on his 10 years winning batting titles. He won an MVP award. He was a catcher at the top of his game for 10 years, right? Joe Maurer has a better chance at the Hall of Fame than Torrey Hunter. But if you pulled Twins fans, who's a more valuable player? Who's a more likable player? Oh, Torrey. Torrey Hunter would the check pa- all of the boxes. The passion. Right? The passion. All the boxes. Even yeah. though, like, Torrey Hunter had an underwhelming postseason career, too. Torrey Hunter got swept in every... 2002, I guess, they went to the ALCS. But yep. Torrey Hunter went to bat 208 times in the postseason as four home runs. Yep. He's a power hitter, right? He's got four home runs. He blew a game against the A's, diving for a ball in shallow center. Johan Santana was pitching a gem... Tory Hunter makes a boneheaded play, and I love Tory Hunter, but makes a boneheaded play. Oh, it's just Tory being Tory. Yeah, yes. We prop Tory up as this legend, and we pound Joe Maurer down as a guy who went unfulfilled in his career. Just because he might not make the Hall of Fame, we've got to rip Joe Maurer. Don't forget, Tory also said peace out for a few years to go chase money in L.A. Correct, yes. Right. But if you chase money in L.A., that's fine. If you chase money well, in Minnesota, you're preventing the Twins from signing pitchers, even though they've signed a bunch of pitchers the last 10 years. <laughs> Most of them rotten. crappy, yes. And the story of Joe is so intriguing, too, because we we like you if you're enthusiastic in the right way. If you're not, we want you to be stoic. But you got to be stoic in the right way. Bud Grant, he's got it, right? Lindsey Whalen, she's got it. We like how she's stoic. But Joe's boring, and we see him as a dead ass, and so we don't like this. This is this is honestly a book. Eventually, this is a book because it, and this is more about us than Joe, because it's about our perception of what we like, what we don't like, how picky we we are, and our ability to to rewrite and or redefine potential greatness if you don't meet the threshold that we want. That's the thing, and and. That's my point. Puck was a great player. And Puck was, I love him. But if you go back and look, is Puck one of the greatest players of all time? Absolutely not. Well, he's a Hall of Famer. But no, he, he is. But my point is this. My point is this. A large part of Puck is legend based on the fact that we loved him. But we, I don't. We but, love but again, him. I don't and I'm not we, trying to put him down. Joe, we don't have to tear Kirby Puckett no, down. And, but but, but we do that. Like we tear, no. we tear Maurer down to prop up Puckett. No, Puckett is a separate entity. I get that. But my, but my point is this: this is all about defining. This is all about going about defining things in our way and and what we perceive. You are great if you do things that we like. If if you walk into the clubhouse before game six and say, boys, get on my back t- tonight, which is a great story. It's a fantastic story. But we like that. Joe wouldn't do that. And so we say, well, Joe doesn't do, do that. And I'm not e- even a huge Maurer fan. I'm just saying if you look statistically at what this guy has done and the fact that he spent the majority of his career catching, which is a very difficult thing, if you look at those stats and still dismiss him and say he wasn't that great, you don't get it. Well, I think to, to what you're saying, baseball, it's not a one-player sport. But, and and I'm, I'm not saying this to tear Kirby down because I think Kirby's, yes. for my money, like Kirby's been the greatest either. twin of all time. But the perception that because Kirby Puckett was a vocal leader and and had a chance, by the way, to play in a World Series, 
a lot of that due to the fact that Jack Morris was a staff ace and a legendary figure. And they, the pitching staff they had was Scott Erickson at the time in a lineup that was full of Chuck Knobloch and Ken Herbeck. And those were just complete World Series winning teams. Uh, Joe Maurer, for much of his career, has had Scott Diamond as a number one starter or broken down Francisco Liriano. Like, just didn't have the pitching to get there. And that's in some ways, I hope that Joe, I hope the Twins go to the playoffs and I hope they make a run and I hope he plays well just to sort of squash part of that narrative. Because if you were to give Joe Maurer ample plate appearances in the postseason, guess what his batting average would be? It would be around 300, just like every other player that you give sample size to in the postseason. He's only played in like 10 postseason games. Is that his fault? Not really, because he's been the best Twins player since he entered the league in 2004. It's I can honest to God rant about this fault, for Phil. a year. It's all his fault. Because <laughs> darn it, we just, you know what, he just doesn't do things the way that, that we want. Yes. That's all his fault. Uh, also last night. Ding, ding. Tonight, uh, before the game, I told with G and say, hey, tonight I feel lazy. But you know what? I like that because I have to be focused all the time. So that's what I did tonight. I tried to, you know, use my three pieces, attack the hitter. So that's what I do. If, Bar- if Barrios felt lazy going into his start, and there might have been something lost in translation there. I hope he's lazy every time he starts. He now has one walk issued in his three starts. Yep. He was untouchable again last night for the second start in three outings. He was untouchable for the first three innings of his Mariners start, too. And then, like, cold weather. It was 20, 25 degrees. And... Um, I think maybe later in the show, it might be time, and maybe we're premature on this, but we are the most progressive sports talk show in the Twin Cities. It might be time to crown Jose Barrios an ace caliber pitcher. Through, I'm ready to say it. Through five last night, he had faced 17 guys, and in that time, he had thrown 17 balls. That was that was a fantastic start. This is This is becoming, and I think he's going to be this, a price of admission pitcher. On nights he pitches, if it's decent out, I don't blame you for not going last night, but if it's decent outside, this is a guy where you pick up the paper or go online and he's pitching and guess what you do? You go buy a ticket. He's a price of admission pitcher and you tell me the last time that the the twin said that. Liriano, when he was going well, Irvin, or or Johan certainly was, but... He was lights out last night. It was fun to watch. Uh, yes, it was. Well, we'll talk more twins. Uh, Lindsey Whalen, who played possum on our show on Monday when you were out. Chris Long was in for you. Uh, we asked her We asked her about the Marlene Stalling situation, which, has, which hadn't resolved itself yet. We'll play that audio here at some point. And then we asked her, like, in theory, I know that job's not open, but would you, would you want to coach? And she totally played it off. Like, no, nah, I'm going to probably keep playing for a while. And, I like this you know, radio She's probably gig. sitting in like Mark Coyle's office. Show. So uh, we may or may not chat with her today. Uh, scoop at 11 o'clock. We'll talk to Matt Thomas, voice of the Rockets, former host on AM 1500 uh, back in the old days. We'll talk to him in about 20 minutes or so from now. Chris Singleton on baseball. And at noon, if you are a wrestling fan or just want to hear Andre the Giant stories, Jumpin' Jim Brunzel will join the show at noon to tell some Andre the Giant and old school wrestling stories. But uh, when we come back here, this Maurer discussion, there is... A myth we need to squash. Another myth we need to squash, too. And if you disagree with us, <laughs> if, if you think that we are tooting the horn of Joe Maurer too aggressively, 651-646-8255-877-615-1500. Mackie and Judd, TCL Broadcast Studios. The Mackie and Judd Show rolls on. Ready or not. On 1500 ESPN. Off the middle and through. It will score two runs. And the hometown kid. 
reaches his milestone at home. I definitely did want to get it tonight uh, here at home um, in front of family and friends. And, uh, you know, leading up to it, I, I didn't really try to try not to make it that big of a deal or anything like that. But then uh, when it did happen, uh, to see the boys at the top step, uh, family and friends and the fans here in Minnesota uh, acknowledge that it was, was pretty special. Joe Maurer, 2,000 career hits, one of only three Twins players to uh, to ever tally that many hits. And you and I are both, like, the fact that you have to defend a guy who's a borderline Hall of Famer and 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 stand up for for him against fans who just want him to hit more bombs or want him to have a different personality. And if you disagree with us, if you're anti-Mauer, 651-646-8255-877-615-1500. I'm more interested in the why and and the, the where, where things turned uh, for Joe and the fans. And I, I really think, and this was, this is his fault and he didn't control it, but it's not, not his fault in, in the fact that, that the whole thing was, was basically created from whole cloth. I really think a lot of this goes back to one thing bilateral leg weakness i think that fans i think up until then the relationship was fine and and did people want more power on on occasion yeah i'm sure they did but i really think that was a major turning point and it's joe it's joe's fault and his representation's fault for not taking more control but he is also a victim of the fact that somebody as you've told me the story before somebody basically pulled a a dictionary of of medical terms off a shelf and came up with something yeah it was like it, well it's two there's two reasons why people either hate joe mauer or are disappointed in joe mauer that's one of them bilateral leg weakness or the perception of this this vague undefinable injury uh he needed to do a better job standing up and either being honest or telling his own story and he really didn't like he kind of sat around all year, had then missed time with pneumonia, and people just people thought he was soft, and he's never been able to shake that. It's been seven years, he's eight years, he's never been able to shake that. But if he would if he would have come out in the middle of April, or even just like wait a month or two, come out in May or June of that year, seven years ago, and say, "All right, guys, this bilateral leg weakness stuff, this has to stop." I don't know where that term came from. I just had knee surgery, and uh, like my knee is not responding the way that it should, or. It's this other issue that I just don't really want to make a big deal out of, but uh, like here's here's why I am struggling to get through something. Like when he eventually had the concussion, I think people were oh, okay, yeah, yeah, concussions, okay, because you can define that. Yeah, that's too bad. We saw Justin Morneau and the way yeah. that his career was altered negatively, and so if it would have been a concussion, let's say in 2011, just like it was for Morneau the year before, people would have empathized with him more. It was a punchline instead. Correct. And then the $23 million contract, and this is the misperception that I want to dive into here. The number one thing I tend to hear from the anti-Maurer crew is his salary prevented the Twins from winning or spending money on pitching, right? And I'll grant you this. Over the course of his career, if you count the MVP season where or the, the, the two batting titles that he won before the contract kicked in, where he was vastly underpaid, making like $500,000, over the course of his career, when you include the catching value, the positional value, and his ability to get on base, he's actually been, I think he's been properly compensated. If you go to like Fangraphs.com, they actually calculate player value based on how much money is spent on players. And Joe Maurer is actually fairly compensated for his career, if not underpaid for his career. I'll grant you this. He has not performed up to that contract since signing it, because that contract kicked in, I believe, in 2011, 
ten or eleven. Yes, when things two thousand eleven, yes. right? This is yep. And they signed the contract with him playing catcher at an MVP level, so premium position and premium player. He no longer played at an MVP level and then eventually shifted to first base. So I'll grant you that. Like he definitely wasn't worth twenty three million dollars a year for the duration of that contract. But the Twins have spent since they moved into Target Field. Close to $350 million on free agent pitchers or contract extensions. $350 million. Most of it wasted on bad pitchers. Mm -hmm. And I tweeted this out and people are asking for context. Um, I I can find you context the last few years. It's top half of the league. The Twins, they're not like Dodgers spending or Giants spending or Yankees spending. But it's... It, they've ranked anywhere between 11th and 15th or 17th. So it's like top half of the league the last few years in terms of what they're spending on pitching. $67 million on Irvin Santana if he were to fulfill the whole contract, although it looks like he's not going to because they might just they might just buy out that $13 million for next year. Um, otherwise, it's Phil Hughes, $66 million. Carl Pavano, $23 million. It's Ricky Nolasco, $48 million. Joe Nathan, the Tommy John Made that $40 million contract mostly uh, a terrible deal for the Twins, but they knew they were going to sign Joe Maurer to a massive deal when they signed Joe Nathan for $40 million. That wound up being a dud. Kevin Correa, Mike Pelfrey, Jason Marquis, Hector Santiago, and Nick Blackburn extension for $14 million. They've put a lot of bad pitcher contracts on the books, but people perceive it as, well, they're not able to spend money. No, they have spent a lot of money, top half of the league money on pitching, especially the last three or four years four or five years and it's bad scouting it's bad free agents yeah. it's like that's the problem yes so like that that needs to be squashed that his contract prevented them from winning but, no that's not true but his con- but that contract and I've s- said this for years now had to be signed you can't you can't be about to move into a new ballpark have a superstar player who's from here and allow that player to walk because you you say to yourself, well, he's been catching for quite a while now, and he could start to decline. Can you imagine the outrage if the Twins had said, we are predicting, we are going to predict that that because this guy's been catching for quite a while, that his, his ability uh, to be as consistent is not going to keep up, and therefore we are going to allow him to walk. Yeah. Can you imagine the outrage in this town? That's the well, thing. Well, they would have been accused. It's funny because, like, they're accused of being – Cheap, yeah, for sure. If that happens, there just like it happened with Tory Hunter, there would have been a mutiny, though. Yes, there, there would have been, and that's where this whole thing is so intriguing to me, because I guess my question for for people who say, "Oh, Joe Maurer's terrible; he's a waste of time," is, "What did you want? What did you expect at that time?" So, so let's go back and let's just say the Twins had been really, really smart about this and said, "He's going to decline. We're not going to sign him." Wouldn't you have said, "What the hell's going on? We're getting a new ballpark here," For which, sure. by the way, was brought up already. For sure, I don't, and I don't know if it's the people. I don't think people are mad at the team for signing him. I think they're mad at Maurer for not fulfilling the twenty-three million dollars and dropping off the way that he did. It's one hundred percent about the money. You can talk about the bilateral leg weakness, whatever it is, switching to first base. It all goes back to the money. It all goes back to the contract. I've gotten two off-air calls already saying, you know, he didn't fulfill the contract. Who else was going to pay him $23 million? Well, like with- oh, oh, almost any big market team was going to pay him that money. Red Sox, that dude Yankees, was coming Angels. off an MVP season. I mean, twins yeah. were in a no-win position at that point. You either yeah. sign him and yeah. get ripped for the money you pay him or don't sign him and get ripped for letting the hometown boy leave after he's put up so many great seasons. Correct. Like, he could— Hit the three years at first base 
from like 2014 through 16 where he hit 260 and it was it was bad. Yeah. It was very bad. It absolutely was. He needs to make up for that. And and I and if he continues to hit, he's not going to hit like this all year. The guy's getting on base at like a 550 clip or something, but so that'll settle in. But if he if he signs a lesser contract and kind of rides out age 34, age 35, 36, Mark Grace style. Go hit 290, 300. Yeah, which we and talked about. Smooth it out, play some gold glove defense. Yes. He can, and maybe even perform in the postseason. But like people celebrate Rod Carew, like you were saying in the first segment, Judd, and Tony Gwynn, and people celebrate Paul Molitor, hitters like Wade Boggs. Those are all kind of the same type of hitters where it's, it's not really power. Like Maurer had 40 more career home runs than Rod Carew. Rod Carew stole bases, but Joe Maurer was a catcher. Uh, Rod Carew hit 220 in the playoffs. We never rip him. I'm not saying we should rip him. But we celebrate Rod Carew, Tony Gwynn, Paul Molitor, Wade Boggs. Let we me, celebrate those guys, and we hammer Joe Maurer. Let me let me give you Rodney Carew, who I love. Rodney Carew's postseason as a twin. So he he came up in '67, and in '69 they they went to the uh, uh, league championship series format. The Twins went in '69 and '70. Rod Carew played in five games. He was one for 16. 0-63. Oh, Rodney Carew. Good thing Twitter didn't exist then. <laughs> Rodney Carew walked once in those games. He struck out six or five times, and the Twins were zero and six in those two series against Baltimore. And that's the thing about this that you can go, you could go back and tell people, look, you are so. So if you don't think Mauer's that good, guess what? You're gonna have to say that that's the same thing about Carew. And people, oh no, no, Carew was way tougher then. You know what? It wasn't tougher. In 1969 and 70, the level of competition, athletes and pitchers, was not as good as it is today. I think you can say that without a shadow of a doubt. Well, and Mauer, if you and, and actually OPS plus allows you to take a player's OPS adjusted for era and context. And Mauer and Carew have almost the exact same OPS plus, so adjusted for era. So t- the way you just put it is perfect. If you're prepared to savage Joe Mauer or or ding Joe Mauer. He's the same player as Rod Carew. One of them stole bases, the other was a catcher. So they're like they had these separate value right. pieces that yes. um now Rod Carew maybe didn't make the same money relative to the rest of the league of the team, but again, like the Twins it was it was more about the Twins spending bad money than not spending money on pitching. Uh we'll take more calls on this a little bit later on. We got carried away there, but we got to talk some Wolves Rockets with our buddy Matt Thomas, voice of the Rockets. He also hosts a talk show down in Houston, and uh, he can give us the lowdown. What kind of a chance do the Wolves actually have? Maybe uh, maybe Matt can tell us. Mackie and Judd. Phil Mackie. The term closer is antiquated now. Your best reliever oftentimes isn't being saved until the ninth inning. Judd Zolgad. The catch, rule, and porn are the same thing. I know them when I see them. <laughs> Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. All right, Judd. Just feeling angry tweets here during the break about Joe Marr. I We'll come back to this later on because we have other business to deal with. Wild in the playoffs uh, this weekend. Wolves in the playoffs for the first time in 14 years. Uh, Matt Thomas was probably doing radio in this town. Were you doing radio in the Twin Cities? Uh, Matt Thomas, by the way, from Sports Talk 790 in Houston and Radio Voice of the Rockets. The last time the Wolves were in the playoffs, um, were you doing radio here? What were you doing? No, matter of fact, uh, Kevin Garnett got traded the year that I first moved to Minneapolis. Okay. So uh, that's going back. By the way, oh, okay. hi Matt. Um, hi Judd. Long time. I know. Um, let me ask y'all a question. What? Because Target Field was being built when I was there between uh, 2007 and 2010. 
And remember the twins and the guy, I may be mixing this up a little bit. They said, like, you know, we don't need a roof because we don't want to pay for it. And I don't think Hennepin County want to pay for it. Whatever. That's to each his own. How much money have the twins lost in revenue because of those three games between the Astros and the twins are all played sub 40 degree temperatures? It's a good question. I think even if the answer is a lot, the fact that that stadium is so awesome from like May through, well, even through early October, it's, it's not too bad. I think we'd all make that trade off. And by the way, there's another foot of snow coming in for uh, Saturday and Sunday. So they, they're going to lose a lot of revenue with that White Sox series this weekend too, Matt. I'm just saying it's such a magnificent facility. We, we, we went back to Minneapolis to see the first, the first year. I just feel like the roof would just be such a big help, even for those midweek games. I mean, I mean, not to say that the Astros are going to be a draw, but they are the World Series champions, and you'd beat them two out of three, which is sending the city of Houston in complete panic mode because that's what World Series champions do after you know, winning a championship. So yeah. I just thought, man, it felt bad because that first game Tuesday night looked like there were 3,000 people in the building. Here's my thought, Matthew. Why didn't so so the computer uh, spits out a schedule that, that has the Twins at home uh, for ten games in early April, including a three game series against the Astros, who don't come back here. That same computer also spits out a schedule that has the Twins going to Houston in September. Why mm-hmm. doesn't a human being pick up that computer generated schedule and say, oh "Boy, this doesn't make any sense," and flip the two series? Uh, I mean, seriously, should you not even play a series at home until May first? I mean, imagine how awesome your second half of your schedule would be. <laughs> I don't think the Twins would leave the state. I don't know. I, it, it, weather is a huge issue, and, and even the players, and maybe they're being divas or whatever, but they're, they complain here in Houston when the roof is open, which is ridiculous because we love outdoor weather because it is 75 degrees here in the month of uh, April. But, uh, you know, Deach is on. I just thought it was just – I felt bad because, you know, the stadium is fantastic, but, I mean, you guys are averaging, what, 10 rainouts slash snowouts a year, or it feels like that at way at least. Yeah, it's uh, and, and this weekend's just going to be a nightmare. Like, it's this is as bad as it's going to get. I think the 2010, I believe it was 70 degrees and sunny, not a cloud in the sky for the opener, but, uh, yeah, it's, I think you're right, road games early, home games late. We know that weather won't affect, hopefully anyways, unless there's, like, a weird water leakage inside of an arena, Rockets and Timberwolves, mm-hmm. Matt Thomas. What mm-hmm. is the best-case scenario for our Timberwolves over the next two weeks? You have no best case. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll give you best case. It goes six. Okay. Because James Harden tears his ACL How in does game that happen? Um, Carl uh, Anthony goes off for 30 points every game. Uh, Taj Gibson plays fourth quarter defense like he did against Nokic the other night. I mean, short of that, I don't see it. Yeah, I think we all agree here. All things considered, and look, uh, the Rockets lost Luke Bamute. Uh, We were in L.A. a couple nights ago and suffered the the shoulder injury. He's going to probably be out for the first, maybe the second round of the playoffs. But Brian Anderson's coming back. Uh, P.J. Tucker's been awesome. James and Chris have gotten appropriate rest. Eric Gordon's got rest. Uh, The the four games against the Wolves-Rockets, I mean, selfishly, I love coming back to Mini. So it's always fun for me to call the games. But they were four, relatively speaking, blowouts. Uh, the Rockets just killed the soul of the Wolves with a three ball. And uh, I don't anticipate it being any different. It's not mini, Matt Thomas. That's what, what outsiders. Minneapolis. Well, Matt is an outsider. I mean, no, he was but here he, for could, a but he lived minutes. here. He lived here. Please do not. That Hockey people always refer to us as mini, and I can't take it. We're Minneapolis. Right. Twin cities. Twin cities. That's fine. 
So, so if if that's awfully thin-skinned of you, if Tibbs, oh, I hate it. If Tibbs, let's call, go back down to Huey, where Matt Thomas is on the show right now. Oh my gosh! If if Speaking of Tibbs, by the way, before you go any further, yeah. So we go broadcast ahead. from the upper portion of the lower level. That's where our broadcast spot is in Target Center, and my Wayne Sully's my engineer, and he puts a crown mic down low on courtside. Oh God! I have to every single time ask him to turn the crowd mic off because it's right next to Tibbs, and oh. all he does for two and a half hours is swear. Yeah, and he- so I'm doing the PA. I do the PA at the home games here at the Target <laughs> Center. I have to cup my left and my right ear because I'm afraid I'm going to affect. I'm going to affect my call of the game in the arena when I hear him swear. <laughs> he swears. He is the number one of the 30 NBA coaches in the NBA. In most profanity per game, just want to give you a little tidbit there. Yeah, there are uh, there are rumors that Glenn Taylor has had a sit down or two or maybe three with Tom Thibodeau about that very topic because you know Glenn is sitting front row and Glenn's wife is sitting front row. So if you notice, Tom Thibodeau stands closer to the edge of the scores table now and not right in front mm. of the owner of the Timberwolves. Uh, I don't think I don't think Tom took away like don't swear from those meetings. It was more just like move down about ten feet and and swear a little bit further down, if you will. It's unnerving, and I shouldn't be unnerved because I think I'm a professional doing this. But dang, it's just one f bomb after the other. It's just a lot. It's aggressive. So Matt, uh, but by my count, these teams played four times during the course of the year, and the Wolves lost yep. the first three, I believe, by eighteen points, and then they yep. fell way behind in, in the game here last month, and and. Uh, and the Rockets sort of fell asleep, and the Wolves lost by nine. Yes. So, if Tibbs called you up today and said, Matt, I need a favor. Give me an idea of how I can slow down a team that uh, that I believe on average uh, takes 42 three-pointers per game. Defensively, what can the Wolves do to at least keep these games close? Put your best defender on James. Double-team him and Chris Paul, if you have to, and just hope that you're leaving Ariza or P.J. Tucker open where they're going to miss a three. Um, I don't think you can stop the pick and roll of Clint Capella. It hasn't been stopped yet this year, which has been one of the unsung parts of how good the Rockets have been beyond the fact they're hitting the three ball and Chris has been here. Is that Clint Capella's development's been awesome. I would say that. Um, and, I, you know, because the Rockets' defense is better than it's ever been before, so it's not like they're – the only time they get lackadaisical, Jug, to your point, is when they're up by 20, 25 points. We've had a few games that have been too close for comfort because of that. Uh, but I would just, if I'm them, just make James's life as miserable as possible because he will go ISO, just like Chris does, and make them work and churn out all 23 of those 24 seconds. It's funny because everybody talks about pace of play and how, oh, the Rockets are so fast moving around. The Rockets back half of the year were probably bottom third, if not bottom five, in pace of play. So they will run that clock down if necessary. I would just, again, say double-team the ball handler and hope that Trevor Reza, P.J. Tucker, Ryan Anderson, Eric Gordon go into a shooting funk. Because short of that, I don't see it even being uh, – I mean, I'll see it being an entertaining series, but not particularly close. Yeah, I mean, the fact that – like, the Wolves have two of the top 12 or 15 players in the league, so it makes it entertaining from that standpoint. But depth and system and cohesion are all – uh, check marks for the Rockets. Matt Thomas is with us from Sports Talk 790 in Houston. He also is the radio voice of the Houston Rockets. And I think Mike D'Antoni doesn't get enough credit for A, just being a great schematic coach, and B, 
for starting the three-point revolution in the NBA 10 years ago with those Funball Suns teams. Everyone gives credit because yeah. the Golden State Warriors broke through and they won a championship playing that way. But Mike D'Antoni started this type of spread them out small ball, three-point basketball in 2003-04 with the Suns. They went deep in the playoffs a few times, couldn't get past the Spurs, and uh, and and now I mean this is he's in his mid to late 60s, so this is kind of his last chance to to win a championship at some point. I think he's underrated, and and I don't think he's appreciated enough. I will tell you this: everywhere we go around the NBA, uh, you know, out of town media gets a chance to talk to him before the games, and it's always about the same line of questioning. It's you know, coach, uh, how is it? You know, how do you feel that you know half the teams in the NBA are are doing this exact same thing? And, and he's very plain spoken about it. You know, he says, look, this. Basketball is a copycat league. In the 1990s, you had dominant low post play with Elijah Juan and Patrick Ewing, so teams wanted to have a back-to-the-basket post player. Now it's the other way around. I will tell you this, and it shows you how spoiled I am with my job, guys, is that I'll watch a college basketball game or I'll watch the Spurs, and I'll see a LaMarcus Aldridge top-of-the-key jumper, and I'll be offended by it. I'll be thinking to myself, <laughs> why did you do that? That's a, that's a long two as compared to taking one foot back or one step back and getting an extra point. So he's I'm completely bought into it because I see it every night, and I see why other teams and other media and other folks want to emulate it because, again, if you can do it, the chances of scoring points per possession, all these new metrics, three is always greater than two, and that's been the number one thing we've said all season long. Now, granted, boys, you have to have the type of players that can do that. If you don't have guys that can't shoot that three-point shot or don't know where to shoot it, compare it like, for instance, Trevor Ariza. His best three-point shot is on is on the corners. Uh, baseline threes are PJ Tucker's. James and Chris are their best three-pointers are at the top of the key, so are beyond the top of the three-point arc. So, yeah. Importantly, because of the metrics, you got to tell them where to shoot them. If if you could only pick one to watch, Harden or Paul, which one would you uh, buy a season ticket to watch, Matt Thomas? Ooh. Uh, well, James is going to win the MVP this year, so I'd have to go with the MVP. Uh, but Chris is magnificent. Uh, I wish I had good memories, guys, of Chris Paul at 25 as compared to 33, because at 33 he's pretty damn good. Um, he's, his, his dribbling, his ability to take guys uh, a step back, uh, his bounce passes, the way he's got court vision. I mean, it's amazing how awesome he is at that. But all things considered, you just can't stop James. You when James is healthy and fully vested and has good energy, he can beat you off the dribble. He can take a step back three. And, oh, by the way, he can get you the free throw line 15 times where he's making 86% of his free throws. Yeah. And, as I said before, he's playing the best defense of his NBA career. Top 10 in steals. Just has better court awareness than he ever had before. For me, if I'm buying, I'm going to watch James Hart. All right. So as someone who calls championship caliber basketball or what, what could be championship caliber basketball – uh, and the Wolves, at some point, aspire to be that. They've got Jimmy Butler for another year, and Carl Anthony Towns looks transcendent. What would you? I mean, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here because you know, I don't know. You probably don't know all the contractual information, but like, wh- how would you sort of recraft that roster, or or how would you take what the Wolves have right now with Jimmy Butler, Carl Anthony Towns, uh, Wiggins' max contract kicks in, and get that team on another level? The only thing I would ever say about the Wolves, and I've said it every time we've played them in the last two years, I want to know if Andrew Wiggins is really invested in the organization. I feel like there are so many, especially against the Rockets, not that I watch a lot of Wolves games non-Rockets, 
but I feel like he's distant. I feel I, I don't think he's bought in, and he's a really special basketball player. I just haven't seen enough of it. I know there are some nights where he'll I'll look at the box scores and go, wow, he was everywhere. And then I'll look him you know, against the Rockets where he'll miss his first eight shots, not get back defensively. And I'll, I'll tell some guys on the Rockets, I said, you know what, we're catching the bad uh, Andrew Wiggins, and that's a good sign because when you have Jimmy Butler, who is from the Houston area, and we've been watching him all his career, Carl Anthony Towns is special, uh, a decent bench. I think he, uh, Wiggins, to me, just is a big surprise about why he hasn't been more dominating than, than he has been in the past. Amen. I mean, we wonder the same thing here uh, on a regular basis. When he, when he wants to lock down and play defense, he can. Um, I think he settles for a lot of really bad, lazy shots when he can get to the rim pretty much at will. And, of course, he shoots like 65% from the free throw line, too, so that doesn't help him. But, yeah, there's definitely a lot more room for growth, but not a lot of time left because he ain't on a rookie contract anymore, Matt, starting next year, unfortunately. Yeah, I um, I, I have been more – you know, I grew up – one of his dad was one of my favorite players was a Rocket, and so I've always kind of watched him from a distance. And I just can't believe – how, and maybe I don't know. Maybe he maybe he doesn't like uh, you know the Wolves coaching style. Maybe he wants to go somewhere else. I I don't know. But it just if you were to say what's the one thing about the Wolves that surprises you, it's a their inability to even put a hand in the face of, on the Rockets on the three point shot. I mean, yep. guys, there was one game earlier this year. I think Judd, you referenced it where they just bombarded them with threes, and it was like you could see the the shoulders shrug. You could see we can't get there. And I don't know if it's, they want the defensive intensity, they can't get there. And, and then again, uh, Wiggins just looks so pedestrian when he should be so much better. I mean, imagine how good they would be if he was fully vested for 82 games. And again, I don't know him at all, but that's just my, you know, what I've seen of him in the against him. I think you're dead on accurate, Matt yeah, Thomas, for sure. Matt, we're looking forward to uh, this four-game series between the Wolves and the Rockets. It should be a lot of fun, and uh, I'll talk to you in a few hours. I'm going to bombard your show this afternoon. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Y'all take care now. All, All right. right. Bye, Matt. Matt Thomas from Sports Talk 790 in Houston and Radio Voice of the Rockets and a friend of AM 1500. He was here doing a talk show for three or four years. And we have found a metric in which the Wolves lead the league now. Pace of swearing from Tibbs. <laughs> if you did the metrics, they would lead the league in pace of swearing. Yes. Hey, so at least we have that going for us? Yeah, they are quick to, well, he's quick to get out the swear words. Write that down, predictions, in about 15 minutes from now. A scoop with Doogie at 11 o'clock. Chris Singleton on baseball and twins at 11.30. Jumping Jim Brunzel with some Andre the Giant stories at noon. Game show Friday. It's Mackie and Judd. You know what time it is? Mackie and Judd are back. Stand to your duty. On 1500 ESPN. Right now on the 1500 ESPN stream player, you'll find a $25 Visa gift card. Thanks to Luther Brookdale Toyota Shop, where Mackie shops at Luther Brookdale Toyota. Head to 1500ESPN.com. Click on that stream player to find out how you can win. Thank you, Dave Harrigan, Mackie, and Judd. We talked a lot of Joe Mauer this hour. That was great stuff from Matt Thomas on the Rockets and the Wolves and Mike D'Antoni. We'll get into the Wayland news from yesterday here in the next uh, half hour or so. Write that down, predictions. Here's a tweet from – let me find this here. Because uh, our, our email inboxes and our Twitter timelines are blowing up with Joe Mauer debate and conversation. Here's Corey what would Maurer's contract look like if you took out the outlier 2009 year? And he's asking, he's. I think Corey is actually pro Maurer. He's just asking a legit question. I think the answer is not 23 million. It would be like maybe 15 million. Yep. But why does Maurer need to apologize for his best season? 
That, that'd be like saying, you know, and and we do actually we do say this because this is part of the reason why Jack Morris, you know, sat in the Hall of Fame line. Why would Jack Morris have to take away Game Seven off his resume? Like so, so, so we just have to we have to lop the best year of a guy's career off his resume. He doesn't get credit for a Game Seven gem okay. or an MVP in 09 If you're Mauer, it's I, ridiculous. I honestly don't think the Mauer contract. If you lop off the power of 2009, I don't think and that year happened. By the way, like but it happened. Let's, let's lop off the power. All right, I don't think the contract is that much different because you're talking about a generationally great, phenomenal hitting catcher. Yes. So he was signed based on that. I mean, go back and watch the the home runs, the power that he generate generated in 09. He was barely getting the ball over the left field wall at the Metrodome, okay? So anybody who said, well, now he's a he's gonna hit for power for the rest of his career was delusional. So I still think he gets between 20 and 23 million based on the yes. fact that, that we're we're talking about a catcher that won batting titles. That's unheard of. That doesn't happen. Yes. Also, here's a football comparison, because I think there's a lot of like drive-by football fans who just analyze baseball based on home runs and RBIs, and those are the things that matter. If you had two running backs on your team, Matt Asiata and somebody else, let's say, and one guy had 12 touchdowns, but like three and a half yards of carry. And the other guy had five or five and a half yards of carry, but they, t- but like his thing, his his thing was he's Fred Taylor, right? He's not going to like jam it into the end zone from point blank range. That's sort of Joe Maurer, where he does a lot of the legwork in terms of moving the chains. In baseball, there's no clock; you're just trying to avoid your 27th out. And front offices in today's age will tell you that the value of getting on base is almost twice as important as hitting for power, keeping the chains moving. And Joe Maurer is one of the great all-time chain-moving hitters in Twins history and in baseball history, really. Like, there's only about six or seven hitters in his era that have a higher on-base percentage than he does. I ain't saying he's better than Pujols or Miguel Cabrera, but the things that he's great at go underappreciated by a lot of the casual baseball yeah, fans that really And him. he's very different. Yeah. Should we take a call on this? 651-646-8255. Hey, Chris, you're on the show. Hey guys, mo- moving the chains. That's really, uh, that's interesting. Uh, I was going to say, you know, for us older guys um, you, who grew up watching Kirby Puckett, you know, when we, beyond the statistics, it's like looking at the, the Puckett at bats. When Puckett came up to bat, you were riveted, you were pulled in, and you knew something amazing could possibly happen. And then you, and then we, when we get to the Joe Mauer, the sad kind of disappointing era of Guardian Joe Mauer, it's like what I think of is this guy who wasn't exciting, moved the chains, who would take that first pitch strike every time. Yeah. And when there's a guy on second base, you're like, oh, I'm, I bet you Joe will draw a walk here. Yeah. Where you know other guys like Morneau. Or Hunter are just chomping at the bit to drive the ball somewhere and and get get a run across, but Joe would would take a walk there, and I just want to say one last thing, guys. It's like for me, it's not about the money. It was about the length of the contract because at at one point, my baseball friends and I would just be like, "Wow, how many more years do we have on this? We got three more years on this." Obviously, the money is like you gamble, you win, you lose. But man, it was so long, and the, I believe he had a no trade clause. Full, so full like no we trade. We were like married to Joe Mauer, and that was 
from a from a people that hate commitment, such as myself. I mean, that was tough. That was sure. tough. So, so, so Chris, I think, and we're up against the clock. Thank you for your call. I think Chris brings up his point was about preference as a fan, and I don't disagree with that. Do I prefer watching Puckett or Maurer hit? I might lean Puckett. Like Puckett swings but, at everything, and he's like fun to watch hit. But Maurer, I don't disagree but with Maurer that. never claimed to be Puck. He never said that. He never even came close. Yeah, Kirby was Kirby was as fun a player because he swung at everything, yeah. like Vlad Guerrero, as you can get. Joe Maurer never claimed to be him. He never he didn't get here and say, you know what, Kirby's Kirby's been gone for ten years and here I am. He came here and he is Rod Carew. Also worth noting on the on the the clutch thing because a lot of people he's not clutch and he just gets up there and drives walks and. I did a search last night just to try and prove a theory one way or the other. Among hitters who've come to the plate enough, I think I think I did a search for like 4,000. So if you've played for like seven or eight years with enough of a sample size, baseballreference.com, Joe Maurer ranks 20th all-time in batting average with runners in scoring position. All-time. Well, 20th, behind, right behind Ted see, Williams, Jimmy Fox, and Lou Gehrig. I think I think there's so many variables to this entire discussion, including the fact that we actually hold it against him that he was a good two strike hitter and that he worked counts. Like we punish like, him like for, we for wanna, drawing a walk. Like we we want puck. We want a yeah. guy just to come up and swing. And this guy gets to two strikes and for years was fantastic. And we don't like that. Yeah, so it's like you prefer as a fan the more fun, free swinging, like in a swing out of your shoes, but the more productive approach for Maurer specifically is to just get on base, move the chains. And I get it's not as much fun to watch, but it's valuable. All right, write that down, predictions, when we come back in an accountability session. Uh, Luther Brookdale Toyota, speaking of all this twins conversation, they keep the mics on for the Touch Em All Twins podcast. They are the uh, the main proud sponsor of uh, the podcast with Wetmore and myself, in which we've had a few episodes, if you want to go look them up in the past, where we do deep dives into Joe Maurer. Might have to do another one here pretty soon. It's kind of a fun, hot topic discussion. But Luther Brookdale Toyota has their annual tire sale going on right now. Three tires for just a dollar. Uh, I'm sorry. That that's way too much. That's that's way too good of a deal. I want that deal. Let's try this again. Dollar? Three tires. Get the fourth one for just a dollar. Apologies if you just turned your radio off and you're speeding in for that first deal that I told you about that doesn't exist. Three tires and get the fourth one for just a dollar on any Toyota. They'll also do a free battery inspection and make sure your car is uh, ready to go for if it stops snowing eventually. And the weather warms up eventually. Those road trips this summer. 694 on Brooklyn Boulevard and LutherBrookdaleToyota.com.